0: Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology
1: to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Invest Like a Boss. I'm sitting here back again with my co-host johnny fd and we're coming from to you from where johnny
0: we are on the rooftop of our hotel on the beach in
1: odessa ukraine Never, ever thought we'd be saying that, but it's been quite an adventure getting here and uh, a lot of fun. And we just had a t- the chance to sit down and relax and unpack our bags and take our gear out. And it's it's a really nice afternoon.
0: So in the spirit of us reuniting in person, uh, we've been traveling around for a few weeks together now in Eastern Europe. If you want to hear more about that, you can listen to it on Travel Like a Boss. But what we wanted to do is we wanted to recap and figure out what have been our top lessons learned. Because even though it's only been 16 episodes, mm-hmm. we have grown so much, we've learned so much. And from those 16, we've had 12 guests who are professional investors, CEOs of companies, uh, people who you know have retired millionaires, and they have shared their top tips. So we wanna break down the top 12 takeaways that we've taken from it, as well as what we've done with it personally.
1: Yeah. So this was a really exciting exercise. It was great to recap because again, you go through these these episodes of all these these uh, investment gurus and CEOs, and it really, really helps to go and just write down what you actually learn from those. And we thought it'd be great to recap it. So we're going to kick it off. We have 12 here, as Johnny said. And then at the end, we're also going to mention uh, what we've done specifically over the last couple months few months uh in our own portfolios and investments so john i'll take it away with number one
0: all right so number one is actually from episode 16 with william bernstein the take big takeaway we got from that is investing in stocks long term is not actually risky and when you really break that down really think about it you're like how how is that not risky it's but when you when you when you buy the wrong time you sell the wrong time mm. super risky and as i've always said in every episode I personally do not buy individual stocks anymore because I know how risky it is, how much of a gamble it is. But the reason why I'm so bullish with index funds is because I know that stocks long-term, as long as you don't panic and you're not emotionally uh, in a bad place or financially in a bad place where you need to sell, that in the long-term, it's actually a very, very good investment and can make a ton of money.
1: Yeah. So even in the episode, when we talked to to Bill Bernstein, he even said if you had, so the, the portfolio that he had put together that did the best in all the portfolios that Meb Faber uh, took a look at and compared was his was basically 75% in stocks. And he even said on the episode, if you had weighted that even further into stocks, it would have even outperformed his portfolio. So his takeaway and learning and what he said that he wish he had known when he started investing 50 years ago was a heavy stock portfolio is not as risky as you would think if you have a long investment timeline.
0: Yeah, so if you're already 49 and you plan to retire in the next five years and you can't risk not having, you know, money withdrawn uh, in the next couple of years, it's gonna be a lot more risky for you than if you are someone in their 30s like us that if we need to let us sit and and we need to ride through one or two big downturns, as long as the world doesn't completely end and every stock doesn't get completely wiped out to zero, we'll be fine. As long as, you know, it's as history has said. Uh, and if the whole world ends, you know what? The money's useless anyways. <laughs> yeah,
1: right? So let's go into number two. Number two, the big takeaway was peer-to-peer lending works much better with the underlying asset. And man, we're learning this really quickly just through our own testing. And in episode thirteen, we had Brett Crosby on, who's the CEO of Peer Street. And man, Johnny and I are really bullish on Peer Street. We've, we've now invested more, which we'll talk about later. But our lending club experiment is what's your returns on lending club right now? It keeps going down. I yeah. think it's at like six
0: and a half percent now.
1: So I invested uh, five figures. I uh, ended up being, I think, 50K. And my first month's returns were only f- like four, $4.80 in interest. And I expect that to raise a lot this month. But, you know, it's there's just something that's inherently scary about the loans not being secured. And right now, where our economy and the market's doing. You know, fairly well. It's trickling out a long. So our big concern is what happens in a bad market or a recession. How many of those loans start getting written off? So what we really liked about Peer Street is that the the loans are secured by real estate by the by the loaner's real estate or the borrower's real estate. And actually, since we recorded that episode, Peer Street had their first loan go into default. But the wonderful thing was, as we anticipated, was there's no losses to the lenders. So we're really bullish on peer-to-peer lending with some type of underlying asset.
0: I think what's really cool is when, you're, when you had the call with him, they had not yet had a default. But when you brought it up to him saying, you know, you guys are great. You guys have been in business for X amount of years, no defaults. He was very quick to, to say, look, we haven't had a default yet, but we have built in our business model of getting defaults. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to be able to control every single person and their personal finances, what's happening in their lives. You know, maybe they got a divorce. Maybe they bought a, a you know, a crap deal. Yeah. Uh, maybe their business partner screwed them over. Uh-huh. They can't control those things. Yeah. And I don't expect them to. What what I would like and what why I'm so excited about Pure Street and why, you know, what you had mentioned about um, Peter peer lending just works better with some kind of underlying asset mm-hmm. is because but knowing those things are out of our control, having some kind of financial backing where they can't just walk away from it like Lending Club yeah. and I have a chance of getting my money back, I'm all for that.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And we also like the fact that you can loan as little as a 12-month window and actually a lot of those end up being shorter. So I think my average my average uh, loans are nine months now, whereas again, in Lending Club, it, the minimum is 36 months. So we like Peer Street and we like secured lending. So let's go into number three, Johnny. So don't obsess about asset allocation models, but de-
0: be disciplined in sticking to them. And that's with Meb Faber episode 15. I think this is the one piece of advice that everyone should really hold hold to heart. I know it's exciting to find different uh, types of investments and want to be balanced portfolio all the time, want to add, want to subtract. Mm. Because, you know, yeah, there are ways to tweak your portfolio to make it better. And I know we don't help because we introduce you <laughs> new, fun, cool stuff all the time. Yeah. But the point is, you. Ha- once you figure out what the way you want to invest, just stick to it. Don't don't, don't sway around. Don't bounce back and forth too much.
1: Yeah. I got to give Johnny a lot of credit here because when I met Johnny and we started talking about Vanguard before he even started the podcast, Johnny's Vanguard portfolio consisted of one fund, which is VTI. And I think now it might be two funds, which is where when I started my Vanguard around the same time, I had two funds or three funds. And now I think I have like 15. So I'm super guilty of this. And I think most people to some degree are guilty of this because when you start investing in stocks and bonds and you start looking at different funds that you can buy, everything just starts to make sense. It's like, well, I could add a little bit of this. I could add a little bit of this and it'll balance it more and more. And you start looking at markets and and, uh, trends and charts and everything starts to look good and feels like it has a place. So what I really liked in the Meb Faber uh, episode, as he said, after all of his research and he went through 12, the most highly touted portfolios since the early 70s and even before and he reviewed them and compared their performance they all performed pretty much within a small margin of each other and his takeaway was just go enjoy the the summer like just pick your allocation stick to it don't go crazy obsessing about the little details and then just go enjoy the summer
0: and actually one thing that you you can't like so the thing that's actually the worst is when you go and start selling Mm. your your shares your stocks to be, then, you know, and moving around. Mm-hmm. That is really what he's warning against. If you have dedicated to, put, to putting $3,000 a month in Vanguard VTI index funds, and you continue to do that while also putting, you know, 500 bucks in peer-to-peer lending, putting, you know, a 1,000 bucks into Peer Street, putting $1,000 into, um, you know, small cap uh, equity funds or something, yeah. that's okay because that's actually just bonus. Those are chairs on top. If anything, that's exactly what I'm doing where I'm keeping my exact same allocation of $3,000 a month into VTI, no matter what happens. And the reason what I'm doing is I'm basically working harder to have extra income to be able to buy these toys. Instead of buying a new iPad or going on a shopping spree to buy a new clothes, buy a new car. Mm -hmm. I get excited about buying new investment vehicles. Right. So not a real vehicle, an investment (laughs) vehicle. I like it. And that allows me to have my cake and eat it too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, One, one of the, the comments that Meb made in the episode that we preluded to in the opening of the episode was that one of Fidelity did a a big research project of which of their accounts performed best. And they found that crazy enough that the accounts where the the owner had died or totally forgotten about the accounts did the best. So it just goes right into this takeaway, which is don't obsess about the allocation, pick something and just stick to it. I like it. So number four, this is from the
0: Fundrise CEO, Episode twelve: uh, Investing, real estate investment trusts. Is reinvesting is awesome <laughs> and low cost models like Fundrise may be the future of reinvesting.
1: Yeah, so we really, really like reinvesting. Did you invested in Fundrise a little bit? Uh, yeah, I, okay. I
0: bought some of their growth REITs. Uh, I think I'm, I'm more excited right now about Pure Street, mm-hmm. um, just because I can. It, it's to me, it's like buying a like a house almost. Like you kind of see the exact property you're gonna get. You know the interest that you're gonna get from it. So. To me, I prefer Pure Street right now, Mm -hmm. but Fundrise, I think, is also a very, very cool model, so I I have some money in there as well.
1: Yeah, so so Fundrise is kind of a new-age, modern way to invest in REITs, and there's more traditional ways. You can do it privately, and then, of course, you can go out and buy REITs on the public market. I just invested in senior housing care. Uh, I think the ticker is SNH. It pays a 7% dividend. But even before that, I was out in Singapore basically REIT hunting uh, because I thought that you could only get you know a 7 or 8% r- uh, return or yield on REITs if you went outside of the US market. So I found myself in Singapore. I bought some REITs there. They were yielding 7.5%. And I really, really just kind of fell in love with reinvesting because I also own property. And I realized, man, to get 7% Yield on owning an investment property—it's achievable, but my the the maintenance and the overhead and the hassle—it just it, for someone that like us that kind of lives you know remotely and works remotely—it just doesn't really make sense. So I really like REITs. Um, I've been investing more heavily in them, and I think Fundrise is a super cool way to get involved with them um, because it cuts a lot of the fat out of them. So if you look at Fundrise right now, their different REITs are yielding between eight and twelve percent. And if you l- listen to episode, you can find out why. So really Really bullish on REITs, and um, that was a great episode with Ben Miller, who's uh, the CEO of, of Fundrise. We're glad to have him on.
0: Yeah, so take a take a listen to episode 12. Uh, sign up for it, and that way you can get first access to be able to invest in the REITs because they close they close up. And then, so I'm ba- personally waiting for their
1: income REIT to reopen, uh, and I will be putting more money uh, myself in there when it, when it does. So number five, the takeaway, probably one that Johnny and I can speak about the most is investing in yourself is the surest way to make exponential returns. And if you look at so many of the different investment gurus that we talk to and and professionals out there, it seems like everyone's trying to optimize around an 8 to 10% return as a broad spectrum. And of course, you can get high returns and capital gains and stuff. But, you know, 8 to 10%, isn't going to make you rich quick, depending on how much you're investing. And I think the surest way, uh, you know, we talk to people like Kevin Shea, who started uh, Hong Kong's biggest self-storage company, or Dan Norris, who started he's started tons of businesses and recently just started uh, a microbrewery down in Australia. And then, of course, Johnny FD sitting next to me. I mean, these are all sure examples of investing yourself is where you can really make a mint.
0: So I'm very happy to make eight percent on my money, mm-hmm. but there was one investment that I made a few years ago. I invested thousand dollars and I got a two thousand percent return. Mm-hmm. I made about so I invested in a course, an online course that taught me how to how to drop ship stuff and, and become a an entrepreneur online uh, and sell things in an e-commerce store. And I've now made over two hundred thousand dollars from it. It's not as a passive as these other investments mm-hmm. but it just shows that when you invest in yourself and you learn a new skill and you dedicate yourself to it you can and you create a business you can make a lot more money than just hoping for 10% yeah
1: and you can have that confidence in in your life and your in your profession that you're making income so that if investment markets and and the economy ever goes down you can still make money and i think this goes more into just creating a startup or taking uh you know a, a real estate course or whatever it it can be anything as simple as investing to learn a language or investing to travel or learning any type of new skill there's some incredible stats that are supporting that about 50% of the world's workforce in the next decade will be remote and freelancers. So it's going to be a freelancing economy in a way. And learning skills that can help you be part of that economy and take advantage of it are extremely important for anybody that is going to be in the workforce for the next 20 or 30 years. Both Sam and I
0: invested in a book a few years ago mm. that probably cost us twenty seven ninety is hugely responsible for bringing...
1: Us to where we are now. Remember that book? There's a lot of them, but uh, maybe start with a four-hour work week. Yep. Bingo, bango. And
0: it's it's one of those books that, you know what, I, I mean, I, I really believe that books are probably the best ROI in the world. Oh, for sure. You know, you, you, you're getting someone who has taken years to research something, mm-hmm. to live it, to try and error it, and then, you know, maybe another year to write it. And you're getting that for less than 30 bucks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Read, read, read. Even Gandhi said... Uh, live like there's no tomorrow learn like you'll live forever and books are probably the best way to do that so we we recommend a lot of them in the podcast we just said the four hour work week there is um, of course money master of the game and if you take a look at our resources page we have a ton for you but remember take action on these
0: so that brings us to number six using leverage can get you rich but can also get you into a lot of trouble so in episodes four brian jimerson episode seven kevin shea and episode 14 jonathan Preston, all talked about how the kind of the secret bullet kind of like the big secret how to really really become like a millionaire multi-millionaire uh, get into those big numbers is to leverage yourself
1: but remember higher risk is high reward yeah i continue to hear this from People in the podcast, people outside the podcast, people that are giving me personal advice to take lever- to leverage my assets and, and uh, borrow money to invest. You know, it's scary to me. I know a lot of people are making tons of money doing it. I think the ba- the basic premise is if you can borrow money at, say, 4% and you can invest it and make 10%, you're making 6% off essentially free money. So as even Jonathan Preston said in his uh, his episode was if I can borrow a billion dollars at that, of course I do it, right? So there's a lot of people out there in the world doing it, especially in real estate and and things with, with hard assets, but, and it's still scary to me. I actually just took out my first loan. I took it out for uh, $50,000, and I, it's a securities-backed loan that I have through my bank at UBS. And you know what? I'm not even doing anything with it. It's sitting in a bank. I just wanted to learn the process of borrowing money, what that interest payments looks like, how much of a headache it is. And, you know, just see, it's, it's, I'm not making any money off it. It's literally just in my bank. I just wanted to learn the experience of, of having it.
0: You know, that's actually pretty smart to, to experiment that way because what's funny about taking out money or taking out loans is banks are happy to loan you money when you don't need it. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> when you do need it, you'll never get it. So it just rationally, it makes so much sense. If you can make 8% interest off of a 4% interest loan, you're netting the difference, netting 4%. Why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I haven't done it because <laughs> I'm scared. Right. Uh, I think the the time I would definitely do it is if I end up buying like a multi-family apartment unit yeah. and I'm putting, you know, 20% down and I'm leveraging the 80%. Then I would definitely do it because then I have the the hard asset. But right now I think because I have the money to just buy whatever investments I want and not over leverage myself, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a bit bit you know hesitant. But we'll see in another 16 episodes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I might be saying I'm pushing pushing all in, getting greedy. I'm not sure, but yeah, the. I checked with my accountant also and uh, Mario said that the interest on the loan that you borrow, as long as you use it to invest, it's written off similar to like the interest on a mortgage. So we'll see. We'll report back on how that all plays out. But just to recap, leverage can get you rich, but it can get you into a lot of trouble as well. So that takes us into number seven. The Tony Robbins all-season portfolio, which turned Johnny and I on to investing as a whole, a part of that book, Money Master of the Game, it's good, but it's not perfect. And I think the big takeaway from this was in the Meb uh, Meb Faber episode where he actually compared the Tony Robbins portfolio next to 10 other really highly touted ones, including the Bernstein one. And it was good. No doubt. It was good. It performed well, but it wasn't superior. It was we're about middle of the range. I think it, it outperformed five and underperformed four. So if that's what you like, go with it. But again, it's like back to what we said earlier is just pick something and stick to it. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's whatever you're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I really hated that he dangled that carrot throughout the book because it made me kind of want to skip ahead I mean part of it made me you know stay interested even though the book dragged on for uh, that's close to a thousand pages but I think it, it really kind of hurts people thinking there's this secret formula yeah. and there isn't uh, and here's the biggest downside of having something that is too safe because so if you guys don't know what the all seasons uh, portfolio is you guys can listen to episode 15 of uh, the podcast but basically it, it, it's a way where you can you know kind of diversify enough in, in different things mm-hmm. where if the market tanks like it did before before your chances of your money going down are very low but here's when you really think you know we have to think about it is that is actually to me more risky than having my money drop 40% and if you think about it why would that be it's because it's a risk because most likely my money is not going to grow by 40% mm-hmm. my money's not probably not going to grow very much because we're playing so safer so diversified and to me that is that it is a bigger risk than me losing some money holding on to it waiting for it to go back up and then selling
1: Yeah, so absolutely. And and it's totally dependent on what you're comfortable with and what your investing timeline is. So come up with an allocation that works for you. And I think the Tony Robbins all season portfolio, which is based on Ray Dalio's portfolio, uh, which he mentions in the book, is a good place to start. It's pretty safe. It's 55% bonds. Um, so if you want to get started with something, take a look at that. And I would also encourage everyone, if you haven't listened to the Meb Favor episode, take a listen to that. Read some of the other uh, the books that he has written, the Bernstein allocation and some of the other ones, and take a look and see what, what your comfort zone is. Like Johnny said, some of them are going to outperform in good years and underperform the others in bad years. So if you want to kind of toe the middle line, there's an allocation that's right for you. And if you want to be ultra aggressive and have those, uh, and you can live through the the severe dips and also want to reap in the, the big uh, gain years, then there's an allocation that's right for you as well. So
0: next we have number eight. Annuities can help you sleep at night and grow tax deferred. This is from episode four, Stan the Annuity
1: Man. Stan the Annuity Man. And we'll have to do another one on annuities. I know everyone's kind of bored of annuities. And look, they're not sexy, but... That's not what they're there for. There are some investments that are sexy. Annuity is not one of them.
0: Well, what I I really liked about this episode, not that I have a big windfall of money where I can you know just put in annuities and you know watch it slowly grow guaranteed, but what I really like is knowing that the the, the fact that outside of the U.S. and a lot of countries there are negative interest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> bonds out there (laughs) and what that means is you put your money into an account and every year not they don't pay you money Mm -hmm. they like just they give you like a A negative interest. Right. Like, you're basically paying to just keep your money there. Yeah. And you might, you know, ask why anyone in the world would do this because we're so used to getting interest. But really think about it. Five or 10, 20 years ago, we were used to getting a good amount of interest, like 3%, 4%. Yeah. We never thought it would be at 0.03 or 0 at a savings account. Mm. And just as unlikely as that was, it's also possible to one day have Bank of America or Wells Fargo start you know, giving you negative interest.
1: And and it's a very big possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it could be knocking at the door. Um, So yeah, 3%, 2%, 2 2.5%, not sexy at all. But in this negative interest rate environment, it's not bad. The other great thing with, with annuities are that they can grow tax deferred. So let's say you put in $100,000 today, every year you're making 3%. So how much is that? 3,000, right? But you're not taxed on that. So that is actually comparable to getting a much higher interest rate that you have to pay tax on. The other great thing with annuities are that they are, I believe, asset protected, creditor protected. So the classic case of this, for lack of better examples, is OJ Simpson. He has a lot of his money in annuities no one can touch it. He can be sued by everybody up and down uh, and no one can touch it. So depending on what state you are, annuities can also be creditor protected. So a lot of people in sports and doctors and people in letitious type of uh, professions, they like annuities. I like them as well. I definitely don't think it's the vehicle to try to get rich on. No one will try to sell you on that aspect of it, but it is something that can certainly help you sleep at night, um, locking money away, earning earning, uh, a small interest rate and growing it tax deferred. I like it. So number nine, we have low-cost funds slash implementation are more important than
0: optimizing asset allocation. That's from episodes 15 and 16 with Faber and Bill Bernstein.
1: Yeah, so... This point continues to be raised, and I think the first time we heard it was again in the in the Tony Robbins book. But it was really, really hammered in by Meb Faber, and then again by Bill Bernstein. And if you take, say, the top performing asset allocation model that Meb uh, compared to the worst one, and you put on the fees of a typical advisor or a regular type of fee in a mutual fund, that best performing allocation then performed worse. Than the worst allocation. So I think the lid and the light is really being shed on this now. People before were kind of suckered into, put your money in this mutual fund and all the fees and underlying you know BS was hidden from the investor. But now with Vanguard and a lot of, of open tools, people are now seeing that wow, I'm paying ridiculous fees to hold a mutual fund and it's not outperforming anything that is not a free fee, right? If you still have mutual funds right now, I'm sorry. <laughs> and
0: don't like lie to yourself, don't let your mutual fund manager you know, talk you out of it. And do, do your own research. I mean, obviously we are not your financial advisor, but we are trying to share information that we have learned for ourselves with you in general. I, I don't see why anybody in the world should have a mutual fund. you know. And if somebody, ha- you know, somebody has a really, really good reason, Share the show notes. I'd love to hear it. But for 9999999 percent of you, you're getting ripped off. You might as well just have an index fund that, you know, and you're not paying nearly as much fees. You know, with and even if your mutual fund, you think you're only paying a 1% fee, mm-hmm. I guarantee you it's more. You're adding it. You like if you really, really add it up, it's gonna be a lot more. Don't be lazy. Switch over your 401k, get rid of your mutual funds, you know, and take that money and invest in something else. Invest in something much lower fee. And that's what I like about Vanguard, is the fees are in the like, like tiny, yeah. you know, like way less than 1%. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the, I think the typical Vanguard fees, like maybe a quarter of a percent. I want to say a quarter percent. And if you do like their Admiral shares, which is if you have say more than $10,000 in a fund, it can be as low as like 0.03%. And a typical mutual fund is 1.25%. And then oftentimes you have an advisor that's either managing that or selling that to you, which is another percent, that's 2.25%. Now I know when I was in college and I was just started investing say three, $4,000, I had no idea what that meant. I'm like, okay, it makes sense. If a guy's telling me I can make 9% a year and he's gonna charge 1%, then I didn't even know that there was a one you know 1.5% on the mutual fund. But even if I did, it was like, okay, 2.5%, he can make me nine, he's telling me he can make me nine historically. You know, I just, I didn't have the intelligence or the confidence to really challenge that. But now, like you said, Johnny, it's like you, you can never go back and you almost feel like all the funds that you've been sold or invested in previously kind of feel slighted.
0: But don't slight yourself by putting it off any longer. Make those calls.
1: Yeah, agree. And it, even if you're an international, you don't have access to Vanguard. There's all types of alternatives. Just look for one that's available to you. There's lots of international funds that have low fees ETFs now. So find out what you want to invest in. Do a little bit of research and you'll be sure to find a low fee one for the long haul. I like it. So number 10, Ten is do not optimize your portfolio around what is
0: working today. Medfaber episode 15, I like this a lot. It's so easy. To s- to see oh what is performing well today let me put all my money in that
1: <laughs> I, I think we're all guilty right like this is just human nature it goes and it goes back to when i first started investing again you have something that goes on a hot streak and what do you want to do you want to liquidate everything else you have to buy more of it right uh it's like bitcoin almost right i bought bitcoin at 200 when it went to a thousand i bought more and then what happened it tanked so the major takeaway is When you do portfolio rebalancing, let's say you have five funds. At the end of each year, don't rebalance based on what's working. If anything, you want to do the opposite. You want to sell what's working and you want to rebalance to what's not working because over time these things all balance out and have an upward trajectory.
0: I don't even like using the word rebalancing yeah. at all.
1: Yeah. Uh, I
0: just never sell anything. Unless I like unless I needed to for some reason. Unless, you know, I need like for some reason needed to buy uh, mm-hmm. an investment property or needed to get my money out. I, I'm just never gonna sell anything. The only thing I'm gonna do is buy more of X, Y, or Z. And what what am I gonna buy more of? Not what's super hot right now because the prices are skyrocketing high. I'm gonna buy what is super low and tanking right now as long as I, you know, as long as I think that you know, with the Biometism reasonable doubt, it, it's not gonna go to zero. So things like, for example, Facebook stock, if it's skyrocketing high, I'm not gonna go buy more. You know, I think, to me, that's ridiculous. You know, why would you buy it when it's you know marked up? Uh, it's, it's almost like you're like, oh, Uber has surge pricing. Let me go call an yeah. Uber right now. No, you <laughs> know, buy things when they're on sale, knowing that the price can go back up so you can sell it for more. Well, at least that, that's the hope. And that's exactly what I do if I'm gonna buy Uh, an index fund or a stock, I'm going to buy it when the prices are low knowing that, hey, there's a good chance it's going to go back up to
1: at least where it was Mm -hmm. if not more. Yeah. It takes a good stomach to do it and I kind of like what you said about rebalancing, just kind of almost ignore it because the experts can do this. It's a full-time thing for them. They understand it. And not that it's that difficult, but it takes discipline. And I don't think from the research that I saw with Meb Faber that the outcome of doing that over the course of 10 years is that significant that it's even worth the mind share. Um, you can definitely make outsized returns by doing so. However... You have other implications too. You have tax implications. If you sell something and you sell it before a year, you could have short-term capital gains. So there's a lot of other variables I think you need to be conscious of. And for the typical investor, getting a low cost, low fee asset fund allocation started, balanced to something that you're you're happy to stick with. Just don't worry about the rebalancing, at least for the first couple of years. Just stick with it. I like it. Just buy more and never sell. Yeah, I like that as well. So that brings us to where we're we at, number 11. Only two more left. That was be smart with your IRAs, be smart with your retirement plannings. And now there's again, there's a lot of ways to do it. I'm not at all an expert in this stuff at all, but we have some good guests coming on in the next couple of weeks that we're going to talk more about this in detail. But. This kind of kicked off with your episode number five with David Steiner.
0: Yeah, and uh, if you guys are not part of the Boss Lounge yet, he's super active yeah. in there. He answers everyone's questions. Big shout out to Dave Steiner. Thank you for being on the show and also for being part of the community. Yeah, absolutely. You guys can join at investlikeaboss.com. Click on bonus and you have the instructions
1: there. So what did you end up doing with uh, your retirement? Anything yet?
0: Yeah, so I opened a Roth IRA account. Mm-hmm. I opened it uh, at first with wealth front because it was just easy it was like two clicks and that is a huge business lesson to take away you know for anyone who you know has some kind of service whether it's financial or or not make it easy for people to give you their money unfortunately i want to kind of get a you know get away from from wealth front uh, and i want to just invest directly with with vanguard yeah so i'm still in the process of opening my ira account with vanguard because you have to you know mail things in they have to like deposit um you know, like the small you know it, it, it was a pain in the butt so it's 100 times harder to go through Vanguard open my Roth but either way i think even even if i just stick with Wellfront uh, or if i end up with my my Vanguard account it's a easy way to put money in pre-tax um mm-hmm. and not have to worry about that so Regardless of what happens in the future, when I do retire, I enjoy not paying the tax
1: right now. I like it. And I'm, I am i got to say I'm guilty because I have a traditional IRA and I have a Roth IRA. And I can't tell you 100% confidence the difference. One of them, I think the Roth, you can put money in tax, tax free, right? Yeah. Okay. Free so tax. Roth, free of tax. Tra- traditional, you can put money in. It grows tax free. But then when you take it out, it is taxed. I believe. Yeah. So anyways, there's a lot of rules going on with IRAs. Then you have solo 401ks, you have SEPs, which David was talking about. There's a lot of different vehicles. Um, so we're going to bring on some guests in the next couple of weeks to shed some light on those and figure out when you set those up, what are the, the ideal type of investments to have in those? What is the investment timeline? What are, they, what are these good for? Because someone that has a lot of passive income and earned income like Johnny, Might want a different type of account than someone like me that is typically making money off of investments now. So we're gonna have uh, some good guests on. We're really excited to start looking into this stuff because it's really something I've kind of neglected over the last ten years or so.
0: Yeah, and and, you know we're no spring chickens. You know (laughs) (laughs) we're both in our (laughs) our thirties. Blink of an eye, we're gonna be retirement age. uh, Though it feels like we retired now.
1: Young at heart, we're at uh, on the Ukrainian. We're basically at Ukraine spring break. I would say.
0: Yeah, we're we're like a. I could throw this bottle in the ocean from here uh i am so sam is actually ironically drinking a corona uh um, <laughs>
1: but that's that's for a reason we, we tried to get a ukrainian light beer and they didn't have it they only had dark beer johnny's more of a man than me so he got the dark beer and i went for the corona
0: so i would t- love to tell you what beer i'm drinking but it is in ukrainian uh font so maybe i'll, I'll you know i'll put it up at, A photo of this in the show notes. Uh, This is what, episode 17 now? I would be
1: thrilled to know if anyone's had it before.
0: If you guys have had this or you know how to pronounce it, do say something. Fantastic beer. Really, really enjoy it. Nice dark beer. You know, so kind (laughs) of shows that, hey, with the investment income that you can be making, Mm. uh, as well as your passive income, you can come to places like this, stay, you know, literally on the beach for not that much money. Yeah. For probably less than it would cost for me to be back in San Francisco just at a normal apartment.
1: Yeah, we took a my, we took a car here, a private car. Great driver, lots of personality, really interesting ride. It was about a six-hour drive. We had three people. It was, what, about $20 a piece or something? Yeah,
0: it's insane, getting a private driver yeah. to drive us a, a, to another country. <laughs> <All> <laughs>
1: so, <right. laughs> so we have number 12. The last one before we get into what Johnny and I have changed in our own investments. And number 12 is... I would say it's a takeaway from the Empire Flippers episode, but it also is just a takeaway from kind of where we've come from in life and how we've gotten started in the business world. And that's on the Internet. And there are so many untapped investment gems. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, it's too late to get an investment uh, into the Internet game. It's too late to get started with Amazon FBA. It's too late to do this and that on the Internet. But the internet, I think when we look back 500 years from now, is just a baby, right? I mean, it got started in the 90s. It really didn't get, affiliates didn't get started until like, you know, mid 2000s. And now there's just so many new types of technologies out there and there's gems all over the place that are untapped and you need to get involved somehow, one way or the other. So if you're
0: not on the internet yet,
1: <laughs> get on it. So first, go to Google and try yeah. searching something. No, so but yeah, easy ways, skills, right?
0: One is, listen to episode 10, Empire Flippers. He gives you a couple of examples, or you can just go to empireflippers.com, look to see what people are selling, and whether you buy that as a as an income-generating business, or you just get ideas from that and say, oh, you know, these uh, businesses are obviously making, making money because you can see the revenue, you can see the profit, mm-hmm. and if people are willing to buy these businesses for 50, 60, 100 grand, you know they're worth something. Uh Or you can listen to the Travel Like a Boss podcast every week. I have on a different entrepreneur who's doing something mostly online, and you get ideas from there as well. But I mean, this kind of goes back to investing in yourself. You know, if you need, you know, if people go to school for seven years to learn some of these skills and spend 50 grand, 100 grand, buy a book, buy a $30 book, take a thousand dollar course, you know, figure out how you can utilize the internet and to, to make way more than 10%. Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, I, the, I spent $2,000 on ad learning how to do affiliate marketing before I ever made even a penny. That was just, but I mean, a lot of people would say that's a waste, it's a loss, but no, that, that taught me everything I know about, you know, the internet. That was my base for getting started on the internet. And just not just that, not just learning skills on the internet, but keeping your eye open because right now it's not that easy to invest directly in internet companies except for, of course, public companies, like you could invest in real estate. But I think over the course of the coming decade, even the next couple of years, there's gonna be a lot of opportunities to invest in almost uh, almost like internet trusts, right? And there's a lot of companies working on it. There's some that are successful. It's not easy to put together, but I think as time goes on, keep your eyes out for opportunities online to invest in in, uh, in yielding inter- internet sites. I like it. So that is
0: pretty much a wrap up of the last 16 episodes and the 12 guests that we've had on and what we've kind of learned from them the big takeaways you know if any of that was interesting to you uh which i'm sure it was go back to those episodes listen to it with a pen and paper and take action remember you know, just like reading a book if you you know getting knowledge is is half of it actually mm-hmm. taking action is the second part so sam on that what action have you taken in these last 16 episodes or 16 16 weeks or so
1: Wow, it's been a whirlwind. I've definitely touched a lot of things. I've probably been in my Vanguard account 50 plus times. Uh, but I would say the biggest things I've done, I've I've been doing more and more reinvesting. It's really intriguing to me because I've had the headaches of investing in real estate, um, just being able to get the yield and knowing that there's real assets there, I like. So I've done, I bought a few different REITs. I bought Fundrise, which you've also bought. Um, I bought some ones in Singapore and I've also bought that senior housing care one. Uh, the other big one I've been doing is I've been adding more and more to Peer Street. I really like the founding members. I really like the platform. And so far I'm getting dip, I'm getting yields every single, oh, it's the 15th. My gosh, we should get it today. All right. So uh, yeah, the 15th month we get, we get an email. So I've been adding more and more to that. And I I would say the, the last major thing I've done is I've in my Vanguard account, I've put a lot heavier of a weight into foreign stocks, bonds, and then emerging markets. So before the last few episodes, I had only a very, very small percent in foreign stocks and bonds. So since then, I've added more of an, a weight that's attributed to some of the models that Favor researched and compared. So I think now I have a close to 30 percent in foreign stocks and bonds. And then I've added about 5% of my portfolio to emerging markets and also picked up some small stocks. I like it. So
0: in my uh, Vanguard account, I've added some small cap index funds Uh so if somebody explained to me the reason why small caps are so important is because the of large cap uh, funds are established companies, you know, like Coca-Cola, you know, mm-hmm. these companies that probably aren't going to grow that quickly or buy that much. But the reason why they are the majority of an index fund. Uh, it's because they're pretty safe. You know they're going to grow. Um, you know, and, and that's why people like them. So for me, I want high risk, high reward. Because right. I'm young. I have income coming in every month. So I'm going to start putting a lot of money into the small caps, uh, which are going to be the smaller companies that are still publicly traded, but have potential... To grow a lot, but also have the potential to maybe even go to zero.
1: So you think you're going to do that
0: all in U.S. small cap stocks, or I think I'm going to do mainly U.S. Uh, I'm not very trusting of the rest of the world. You know, I feel like even though the U.S. definitely is not perfect in any way, I think what we have going for us that other countries don't is that if we completely screw up other people down with us. Right. <laughs> and it's almost like insurance. Where like a company like a country like Japan, unfortunately, if they screw up, they don't affect the other countries that much. I, I'm sure they do, you know, in their ways. Mm-hmm. But they, you know, their economy could tank and it's not gonna pull us down very much. Um uh-huh. and also, you know, because I don't know how other countries regulate things, I'm not as trusting in, in, in other places. But you know, I I, I do agree having some out of the U.S., and ha- especially having things in emerging markets, mm-hmm. it's probably a great idea because, you know, places like India, they can become, like, I mean, they have the, the people, the, the the manpower, and they can, like, grow at a significant rate compared right. to
1: the U.S. Yeah. Well, Meb Favor said one of the, the big things to be sure you don't fall into the trap of is home country bias. And, I you know we're guilty of it, and it's know when especially when we're talking about small stocks, it's like how do you beat Silicon Valley, right? I feel like having Silicon Valley has such a significant competitive advantage when it comes to tech, technology, infrastructure, everything supporting these basically small companies. Not that all of them are small when they go IPO, but it's um, it's definitely an advantage, and I think it's it might be clearest when it comes to technology stocks and small caps. So we'll see how it plays out. I like it. So
0: uh,
1: aside from that, I put. Ten grand into Art of
0: FX. Uh, oh with, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. with Brian. You uh, know, after episode three, mm-hmm. I during the episode when you listened to it, I was you know fairly skeptical. Uh, I knew it was super high risk, which is why I didn't want to get into it in the beginning. But then after seeing how hard this guy works, I kind of think of it as by me investing ten k into into him and his company, I'm basically getting a super smart employee that is working 20 hours a day.
1: We didn't just call you an employee, by the way, Brian.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, Ryan, for hustling and working as hard as you do. Um, it's, it's to me, I still think it's it's super high risk, yeah. uh, but it has the potential of you know growing at a insane rate. And to me, because it's a, it's a it, I think it was 5% of my, my total net worth, I figured, you know what, this is a, a nice gamble mm-hmm. to see where
1: this is gonna go. And it's fun too. It's it's such it's an atypical investment. And this is kind of what we're all about discovering and unearthing on the podcast. And yeah. it gives us a reason to go hang out in, in Bangkok and kick it with Brian. Yeah. And drink some more uh, Johnny Walker. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: So next uh with my lending club, what I did was I have all my money in there still, mm-hmm. but I am not auto reinvesting and I'm not um re- rebuying. Right. So I'm basically letting that money pool into just like whenever their savings account is on there. Um, I would just withdraw it, but I kind of like keeping it in there just so it's very easy for me to see in total how much my, I've made from them. Mm-hmm. So right, you know, I think I put in $5,000 total. Right now, my account is worth 5600 mm-hmm. But this is over like three years. Yeah. So not, you know, the best returns keeps going down. More and more defaults. Um, but it's my and a lot of people's first introduction to peer-to-peer lending. Yeah. So I'm very glad that they're around. I don't regret investing in them when I did because that was the only option. Yeah. It's great that there are new options now. Um, now, with Wealthfront, same thing. Uh, I'm not uh, investing more money into them right now mm-hmm. just because it's a little bit too safe for me. You know, I, I don't want. To buy bonds. Mm-hmm. I don't I, I realized that Wealthfront and, and Betterment, they one of their big priorities is not losing money for their customers. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like a great thing, right? Um, but I'm a very unique case because I don't really care if if my money, you know, drops temporarily because i you know i know that as long as i don't sell and i don't get emotional i still have the exact same amount of shares than i did when the shares were worth 40 percent more uh companies like wealth fund betterment really need to protect their their brand and they can't have it destroyed you know if the next time there's a downturn or a recession by having tons of people panic and freak out and sell Mm -hmm. but that is the exact reason why i'm not putting more money in there i'm not taking money out but i'm not going to I'm not going to be adding any more money in just because it's a little bit too safe for me.
1: Yeah, so Johnny's a 10 out of 10 in Wealthfront. If you have seen Wealthfront's dashboards and their their risk uh, assessment, Johnny's a 10 out of 10. Basically, he wants to crank that up to a 25 out of 10, but they won't let him. I actually emailed them asking. <laughs> I
0: said, can I just get rid of all the bond allocations? Yeah. Can you give me, you know, is there like a secret unlocked portfolio? <laughs> and I would love that they had that. Right. I mean, well, if you guys are listening, that'd be a great idea for you to add in. Like we'd have to like sign our life away. Yeah. But, you know, like just say, I acknowledge this is not normal. This is super high risk. You probably lose money. But here, here you go.
1: Well, I think you've pretty much created your own in Vanguard just by buying VTI. It's like uh, the Johnny FD uh, 26 out of 10 risk tolerance fund, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, big shout out to, to Ed if you're listening to
0: this. Uh, he's a dentist in Hong Kong who, you know, kind of educated me a lot on the Vanguard index Funds. I'll, I'll definitely try to get him on the show one of these days. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool, man. So I think that's pretty much a wrap. Guys, we have so many great guests coming up in the next two months. We're really, really stoked. Just to name a couple, we have the Betterment CEO, John Steen, coming up uh, in the middle of September. And we have one of our favorite guys, he's prolific in our circle, Simon Black of Sommerman, coming on and many, many other awesome guys. So thanks everyone for their support in these first, uh, it'll be 17 episodes. We've grown tremendously. We're getting, uh, bringing you more and more guests to educate all of you. And of course, Johnny and I ourselves and putting uh, our hard-earned cash to work in investments.
0: Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Bye-bye. We wanna quickly thank everyone who's taken the time these last few weeks to leave reviews of the Invest Like a Boss podcast on the various iTunes stores. Uh, the first is actually from the UK by Dota, tech bed five stars loving the podcast Johnny warms up them with the JRE style <laughs> and Sam is siphoning knocks it out of the park like the lads from TMBA so that's Joe Rogan experience style on tropical NBA <laughs> <laughs> knock it, knockouts it's a great insight into the digital nomad community, I had a few beers during
1: episode three and felt like I was
0: there with them in Bangkok gambling 10K and drinking (laughs) Johnny Walker Blue. It Uh,
1: was actually platinum, but yeah. I just had a flashback and uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at Johnny Walker Blue, but uh, platinum was a good second choice. (laughs) So number two, we had uh, Alex Redder from the United States. Five stars says, following Johnny's journey has been inspirational to me and has helped me make wise financial decisions as well as teach me new cutting edge ways to invest my hard-earned money. Thanks, guys guys all right so next we have dong guo from the united
0: states authentic and awesome five stars i love this podcast the hosts are like you and me trying to figure out where to invest their hard earned money but they have the benefit
1: of being able to speak with the gurus in the investment world and then sharing it with all of the listeners So next we have Monique from Brazil, another five-star review. I'm really glad I came across this podcast. Sam and Johnny have helped me to open my mind to new investment ideas and get me started in building my future wealth. Thanks, guys. Cheers, Monique. Thank you, Monique. Thank you so much. Keep these reviews coming. If you've left a review, please send a
0: screenshot of the review to us. Uh, Follow the instructions on investlikeaboss.com slash bonus for a chance to win a $25 gift card each and every month in the beginning of the month. And enjoy your travels. We're going to have another you know, beer and maybe some vodka for you tonight in Odessa.
1: Signing off from Odessa. Check you guys next week. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening to the Best Leg like Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlegaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If
1: you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.